Hi, and welcome to The Sustainable Century, where we explore with experts, with leaders, activists, communities of interest, mothers, fathers, and kids, how to buy, how to work, and how to invest for happier lives and a healthier planet. I'm your host, Mark D'Souza Shields. Uh, today, our special guest is Andrea Learned. Uh, Andrea and I met on, online, in fact, on Twitter, where her determined and great passion for pretty much all things sustainable it was a real inspiration to me and I think to a lot of uh, other people. Uh, Andrea is a independent consultant working out of Seattle uh, who helps climate action and social impact leaders develop authentic thought leadership. Uh, welcome, Andrea. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's fantastic to talk with you. Uh, we have talked in the past and I'm really excited uh, to hear some of your thoughts uh, leading up to uh, sustainable brands in Vancouver, because I, I understand you'll be going to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of old friends. Well, that's fantastic. Listen, let's start with thought leadership. I know that's that's your thing, and uh, and, yep. and it's it's a word that a pe it's a phrase a lot of people know and have heard, but I think it it bears defining a little bit. What how do you define thought leadership, at least in terms of uh, all things sustainable? Well, I would define it in terms of sort of owning your wisdom. I, I, a lot of the people in corporate sustainability uh, have been in business for a long time, have transitioned from more traditional roles into sustainability. And so they actually have been moving the needle and making change in this way. And so my point is always, claim your thought leadership and I know that's kind of people cringe at the term I mean it's just I think because we haven't come up with something better but um, claim your thought leadership because the those coming behind you you know the pipeline of leaders need to know what's already been tried you know in order to forward this we can't keep doing the same old thing or do what we're doing or, or you know only for our own company and just sort of keep our head down so my whole thing with thought leadership is just own it, claim it, use your voice, you know, you put things out there that other people can find, i.e. tweets or writing blog posts or little videos. It, it really all matters. And I think that, again, you have to own it and commit to it as part of your role mm. as a sustainability leader for kind of just for humanity's sake and for the long term. Yeah, for, for humanity's sake. But I mean, really, I'm not sure I understand. What does it mean to own your thoughts? I mean, aren't you supposed to sort of share your thoughts or are they one and the same? Well, I mean, own your thought leadership. Own the fact that you, that you are a thought leader. Own it. Don't just poo-poo it. Don't be <laughs> overly humble about it. Right. You know, claim it. Claim right. it and voice it. So you get a lot of people probably more in traditional business who are out there loudly spouting this, that, and the other thing or how great their company is. So we need more people who are really working behind the scenes on sustainability and corporate social responsibility to do the same thing, to speak loudly and to talk about what they've learned, who they've learned it from to give us a pass. So it isn't about claiming your thoughts. It's about claiming your leadership. Uh, I see. And, you know, one of the things I've been uh, thinking about lately is it, 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 how do we empower, you know, the people you, you mentioned, the people that come behind you. I, I tend to think of the people all around you, but um, how do we empower them by claiming, you know, people claiming their thought leadership? I mean, how does that work? Well, because you're doing it and you're doing it in a space where they can find it. 
so if you're if, if, in the world we live in, everything is digital. So you're ma- leaving a footprint or a handprint, whichever way you want to talk about it, on Twitter and, and via blog posts and stuff so that other people, all people. And, yeah, when I say people coming behind you, I'm specifically talking about leaders emerging in your corporation. But everything you're doing is for this broader community, for sure. And so it's just uh, – leaving that footprint and and also contributing and cheering on what others are doing and and engaging with the community which is something that twitter gives you so much power to do is is there one of the things you know i've worked with a lot of corporate uh so-called leaders myself and and i'm just wondering you know a lot of them talk the talk pretty well when you sit down in their office uh with them but then when you hear them in public or you hear them with their their teams it comes across quite differently, you know, uh, people saying, well, you know, sustainability, this sustainable, that, but when it comes right down to it, it transcending the talk into action is really where we want to see people going. And I can you give me some examples maybe of how people have transcended the talk as a leader. Well, I mean, the unfortunate thing is there are all these usual suspects. So, you you know, you look at what Paul Pullman is saying on Twitter and sort of how much he's elevated, and you look at sort of the course of what Unilever's been up to, and that's one. Another one would be Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia, who isn't using social media, but whose team does a really good job of spreading the word. What starts with is being authentic. So uh, Yvonne Chouinard is who he is. He's kind of a rough you know, gruff guy, and he's just sort of telling it like it is. And Paul Pullman, and whether he's doing his tweets or not is, you know, who knows, probably not. But what comes through from his stream and what he shares is very authentic passion for these issues. And so you can, they, you can go to their reports and you can sort of look at the measure and you can pin them on this. That isn't something that you can go, are they really doing this via tweets? But one of the things that I think people uh, tend to get wrong is that they let their communications team, you know, really handle their stream or kind of be the voice of this when what really matters is the authenticity of the voice of the human being who is the leader. What happens is you build a trust with that human um, through that Twitter stream. And you can tell if it's being structured by the company, it's very like, we're so proud that we did whatever. <laughs> Click here for more information, right? right? right. And if it's, if it's the guy or the woman themselves tweeting it, they're like, wow, you know, it was great. It was great contributing to the team that did this. I'm so proud, whatever, right? So you, the difference between being a human and being really scripted by your communications team is something yeah. that I think a lot of companies have a challenge with. Yeah, well, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I was in New York with my daughter a few weeks ago, well, a month and a half ago now, I guess. And um, I said to her, let's look around for, uh, you know, signs of all things sustainable. That's my catchphrase for environmental, social, women's rights, uh, uh, all these kinds of things that are important to, to my family and me. And I said, well, let's look while we're here. And, you know, really, we took pictures uh, in a week. We maybe took seven pictures of things that we found. And, and for me, I go, okay, yeah, Pullman at, at Unilever, they have how many products? They have thousands of products. And I even looked for Unilever products with, you know, sort of uh, evidence of all things sustainable or anything that they've said about sustainability. And we didn't find anything. Now, my question is... Uh, my question to you is, does that matter when they're doing what seems to be really good things internally 
does it do they have to talk to the consumers do they have to change consumers minds I, I don't know what do you think well i think the most important thing for humanity again is that they're doing them i think a couple things i think there a lot of companies are afraid to come out in front of it too much because they will be accused of greenwashing and if they come out in front on one thing people are going to go back and look and say hey that's great that you did that but look over here you're doing this and so they so companies are really kind of afraid of getting too far out there saying what they're doing. So I think the most important thing is that they're doing it. I think figuring out how to communicate it to consumers in ways that matter, matter and can be absorbed and sort of, you know, help the cause, further the cause is, is always the challenge. I, yeah. I think the main thing is that they're doing it. And I think in the long run, that's what's going to be, right? History will say, look, they did this from here to here. This is all the change they made and using renewable energy, et cetera. So I don't, I think that the communications on the packaging and to the consumer, I, I don't really know how much that matters other than sort of raising flags for people to get angry with them and do Twitter storms about the things they're not doing. Yeah, I, I want to circle back to that in a second, but I had another question about thought leadership for you. I mean, in the sense that, well, look, if, if Unilever is out front, if Pullman's out front doing all this, why, why do you think other uh, companies are afraid to get out there and start doing things in a more modest, probably a more modest way, obviously, than Unilever, which is, is a leader? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, in a way, that's my soapbox. You know, <laughs> it's like we, you have to keep pointing to Paul Pullman. And, it, and for years now, I keep going, hey, Paul Pullman does it. So can you, you know, and I don't, we need more people doing that. So I have no idea why companies are the communications teams. I think it's a lot of just sort of, these are our practices with communications. This is how we do stuff. No one's looking up and realizing that they can do things a lot more strategically and, and pull in some authenticity of leaders' voices as a reflection of the brand Right. that right. makes the whole message go better, right? So if Unilever has to tweet out this really scripted stuff, that's fine. If Paul Pullman then takes that and adds his authenticity, sort of wraps it in the human being making these decisions. I have no idea why companies no, aren't no. stepping out. And I think I think a lot of it is really traditional legal teams going, ah, you know, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> you know, really filtering or vetting every single word that comes out of anything, it's very problematic because it, it makes the brand, the communications team, it just sort of hamstrings them. And then it also makes a lot of leaders not want to even deal with that because at some point they'll get some legal pushback for saying something. So the way that leaders get around it a lot, you know, um, I see a lot of corporate sustainability leaders, in, even in that list from that GreenBiz piece that um, I wrote that published recently, and that is that they put in their Twitter profile, tweets are my own, right? Just to like get some sort of a, I don't even know how legal that is, but just to say it, the, the leader themselves has to get comfortable with the fact that they can be this authentic. And mainly, you know, CEOs like Mark Benioff and Paul Pullman, they can, you know, they're, they, they're fine. They feel like they can do whatever they want. They represent the company, they're fine with that. But I think anybody else who isn't like already very visible CEO, somebody more on the C-suite team or, you know, mm -hmm. the director level, they're still really gun shy. Yeah. And so that's another that's another reason that I like to profile the people that are on Twitter and doing well because you, maybe more people will see themselves in those people. Right. Right. And you know, it, yeah. But, but my 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 question, I guess, what I wanted to circle uh, back around to you is, I, you know, I know you from following your Twitter, which which anybody should follow. It's your Twitter stuff is fantastic. It's fun. It's lively. It's authentic. It's got all the great stuff. 
Uh, you know, and I, know you. You, and I know you focus on, uh, you know, kind of three thing-ish, three things, uh, you know, mu music and, um, and uh, women's issues and uh, bicycling, which are, you know, all, yeah, I have a 14, 15 year old daughter. So, you know, that's a big thing for me. And uh, I used to ride a bike. So I love that stuff too. But here, here's the, here's the, 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 the thing that I wanted to come back to is, uh, you know, we have some big things to change if we want to have sustainable society. And I, and I don't mean that in the, uh, you know, sort of in a conceptual way. I mean, I, I'm thinking about our cities particularly. And in my book, when I wrote, uh, you know, I did interviews with folks, um, on millennials that are supposedly interested in sustainable development. And I found them completely ignorant of most things and not in a bad way. I just, just weren't aware of all the things that they could do or couldn't do or shouldn't do to make things more sustainable. And I, I'm thinking primarily about cities at this point. Uh, and, and circling back to what we were talking about is, you know, it's not just, is it just enough to say, uh, you know, companies can, can fix what they're doing? Or do we have to change people's minds so that we can alter the nature of our, our cities, for example, or the way we, uh, or the way we live? Because I mean, essentially, that's what we're asking everybody to do to become sustainable. Oh yeah, I think that the, I think especially since you know we U.S. has gotten out of the Paris Agreement and we're kind of dealing with this administration and all the businesses, you know, all the non-governmental. Uh, or entities are trying to figure out how we can stay, possibly stay in the Paris Agreement. I think more and more businesses have to, in a way, seem more local, however they can seem more local, and really pay attention to the communities they're impacting, which for the global brands is everywhere. One, I have an example of that, kind of, I think, related to my bikes. So my Bikes for Climate, you know, passion comes from the fact I mean, it just, it exists in me as it is, but it came from the fact that when I did that work on COP21 with We Mean Business, what came out of that Paris Agreement stuff was that, holy cow, we really need cities to step in and do this. And so that is sort of this whole cities for climate talk. Yeah, yeah. As I looked at that, I started to realize that what, you know, getting more people on bikes is a GHG emissions reduction you know, tool. Plus it is, it just raises the awareness. Like people get on bikes because they find them, they're fast. And then, oh, by the way, they realize they haven't driven their car for a while. So that's, it's sort of a, but, but what the business connection there and the American Bicycle League just recently uh, shared their 2018 rankings of business, uh, bike-friendly businesses. And so awarding, or if you will, naming and faming corporations that get that really supporting good uh, mindful mobility infrastructure in their towns, really supporting all the things that will help get their employees on bikes, which would only help their health insurance bottom line, you know, all these things. Getting right. bike-friendly bike businesses is like getting cities for climate-friendly businesses. So right. more and more businesses should be dialing in whole hog to the cities for climate thing and bikes and kind of that, you know, non- fossil fuel power, you know, non low emission, lower carbon emission ways of getting around. It could be huge. It benefits the city, it benefits right. the community, it benefits their employees. That's kind of the, the line, the connection there. And bikes for climate, again, doesn't have to be just like freaky, well, you need to bike because we're all going to die from climate change. It isn't that at all. You get into bikes for all these other reasons. And then again, you go, oh, by the way. So that's how you shift consumer behavior. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a tweet this morning on your feed uh, from Jen Kiesmat, 
uh, talking about, uh, you know, housing and how uh, she thinks we ought to move uh, from, uh, you know, uh, home ownership to rental housing. And it just, I've been fixated these days on, you know, the arrangements we have in our, uh, our cities and how difficult it would be in many North American cities to actually use your bicycle as your primary mode of transportation because the cities are so spread out. So there's connections like this I'd love to, you know, I'd love to see. And I'm, and I'm sure you've talked about them before. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the reasons that part, I get more and more interested in transportation and sort of the discussions going on. And it really, it seems like it's trending. A lot of the people that I follow that follow climate action and sustainability are getting more involved in following their own communities, transportation leaders. We've got a transportation leader in Seattle who is really good on Twitter. And when, when a new bike lane comes in downtown or a new some, you know, traffic calming thing comes into town, he takes a picture and he shares it. So the communications, again, I'm going back to kind of the being owning and being kind of aware of the power of using your voice and celebrating the stuff that's happening and, and finding the community for that so that we can all rally each other. I think it's huge. I mean, the affordable housing lack of affordable housing where I live is incredible and um, it's a huge issue and it's so intersectional that's the word of the year I think but it just it affects so many things it's a huge huge issue and a lot of stuff even with the within the biking industry it's all you know white privileged people who went to college who ride their bikes around so how do we you know tackle that as well and you know make sure that we're not cutting bus routes because our taxpayers aren't funding them and then the people that get hurt the most are the people that really need the buses the most in various areas so there's a lot of stuff going on yeah, a lot of stuff to yeah. work on well anything that gets rid of cars i know i feel bad every time i step in my internal combustion car here in mexico hey but listen i want to ask you one last question andrea many people have or might have heard the term social capital except you get it through doing good things for society people, for communities, the environment, what have you. It seems to me like there is a real connection between uh, your of taking thought leadership in an organization, be it a government, a, a company, or a nonprofit organization, and, and the building up of and strategic use of social capital. Well, it's, again, part of my soapbox is the idea that if you're I mean, I talk about my five L's of social leadership. It's listen, learn, and then love up. And then you've got something to leverage, and then you're going to lead. So I think the point is, is that a lot of people, there's a much more opportunity to listen and learn and sort of watch the conversations go, and then to love up others. And if you're doing those three things kind of, it doesn't have to be a lot, but just consistently, you will build up social capital. You will build, build trust with a certain community that you can then tap at the very few occasions that you really need to use it. And in the meantime, you're curating information and serving others. So the idea of leadership is not, you know, thus and so proclaimed I'm a leader and I'm at the top of the heap or I'm the CEO of the company. The leading is more about, I mean, that it's sort of cliche now, but more about servant leadership. And the point is, is that as you're building engagement and building communities and kind of just curating amazing stuff, you're, you're, the social capital you're building is just, you know, exponentially expanding and being at the ready for when you really need to activate it. And I think that's, uh, it's kind of a little secret 
And mm. a lot of leaders don't get that. They think that once they've reached their high point, they're good to go. And, you, you know, everyone's just going to listen to what they have to say and love going to see them speak at conferences, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, is if you have social capital and you have all these people who really appreciate and trust what you say, more people are going to want to see you speak. More people are going to want to read articles about you. So you, your platform just expands and your ability to keep sharing and making sure that people can, you know, find wisdom or maybe learn new things through your experiences just expands. Right. Very few leaders do that. Very few. Yeah. And I guess the concept of social capital allows you to risk some of it now and then as well. And I guess that, you know, takes us back to this idea that if you build up some social capital, uh, you, can, you don't need to be afraid to use a little bit of it once in a while. Yeah, exactly. And, and it sort of goes back to even a really basic Twitter rule of thumb. I talk about, with my clients about, and that is when you're on your Twitter stream, you're basically, you're sharing information, you're curating others, you're sort of doing all of that. And if you do that 60 to 70% of the time, the 30% of the time that you have to say, read my book or come see me at a conference or, or this is what our company just announced, that's totally acceptable. You know, people are, and, the, and people will be interested. So if for 70% of the time you're loving up and curating amazing stuff, you totally have the social capital ready, you know, legitimately to share the stuff that the important stuff that you want to share. Well, that's, that's fantastic. It's a good rule and building up social capital. I think that applies at every level of leadership, whether you're, you know, in the mail room or you're riding your bike down the street or you're the CEO. Andrea, this has been fantastic. As always, it's wonderful to talk with you. Uh, everybody, uh, you can, uh, you can catch Andrea at uh, the Sustainable Brands in Vancouver in a week or so. Uh, where else can they get in touch with you, Andrea? They can find me on Twitter at Andrea Learned, A-N-D-R-E-A-L-E-A-R-N-E-D. And I am on LinkedIn. My yes. website, sorry, is learnedon, L-E-A-R-N-E-D-O-N.com. Yeah, and, I, and, and you've got a fantastic name for the kind of work you do. And I just want to <laughs> congratulate you and, and, and keep on inspiring everybody. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Andrea. Thank you so much, Mark. It was my pleasure. Okay. I'm Mark D'Souza Shields, host of The Sustainable Century. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked it. If you did, I encourage you to check out the Sustainable Century blog at thesustainablecentury.net. Remember to click like in all the right places. Better yet, pass the blog or pass the pod along. And remember, it's up to you. It's up to us to make this a happier and healthier world.